all of the themes are there. It just didn't work out in the way maybe I envisioned it would work out. I guess that's okay too. And I also realized, oh, I would rather go at something alone than force a co-founding relationship that doesn't work. And so maybe this was all a failure that I didn't recognize this from the beginning, or maybe this is just, I had to go through this journey and understand, okay, I gotta have faith in myself to solo found things. Great. Hello, and welcome to Talks with Sarah No Socks, a podcast about failure and how it's leading us to success. Each week I sit down on Mondays and share my weekly failures with you. And I'm joined on Fridays with a special guest who's sharing their own story of failure and how that's led to their current success. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's show. Welcome everybody to this week's episode of Talks with Sarah No Socks. This week I am sitting down with Alina, who is a fellow podcast host of Lane Change Pod and helps others who are also changing their careers. She has a interesting background that I identify very much with in design and software building. She did have a product called Echo Echo and is recently transitioning over into community building, indie hacking, shipping some playbooks for podcasting, and is just in general passionate about supporting creatives. So I'm super excited to sit down with her today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm super excited to get to be on the other side of the proverbial mic. <laughs> yeah, it's great to sit down with you. I know I was on your show a little while ago, and it was such a fantastic interview, and I really wanted to dive more into your story. We, we highlighted it a bit and found we had a lot of similarities. So I would love for you to just tell us in your own words what your journey has been up until now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know how far back you want me to go, but <laughs> I think, you know, the more time has gone by, the more that I've realized that uh, actually my childhood impacted a lot of where I've gone in in my career. And I, my parents and I immigrated to the U.S. And once we did, my parents had an enormous amount of jobs and eventually like many immigrants who struggle to get hired, they started their own company. And some of my earliest memories were like helping out after school, day after day, and being kind of the technology person that set up applicant tracking systems and all kinds of different things. And I think when I graduated school, I basically, I, I kept, I, I realized I wanted to go into I guess technology in some way or another, I, I thought maybe, oh, maybe this is design. And I really quickly, I would say, gravitated towards projects which were very much workflow-based products, I would say. So um, yeah, how data flows, designing, eventually designing large enterprise systems around different verticals from healthcare to HR to knowledge management. And um I realized I loved kind of those behind the scenes processes and how to design around people. Uh, but I totally didn't love like corporations. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As many of us have, yes. have that sense over time. And, uh, and I kind of kept coming back to this thing where I, I kept feeling like the thing that I loved 
when I was growing up was this ability for people to find a certain amount of social mobility through being able to start their own thing and being able to, whether that be a business or as a solopreneur or as a freelancer. And I kept coming back to this idea of how do I how do I serve those people? Because those are the people who inspire me. Those are the people that I grew up around and feel just, yeah, passionate about. And I ended up starting to think, okay, I'll help, I'll help small businesses and um, individuals with, with basically designing and building products. And I quickly realized that wasn't really a lot of their needs. Like they didn't need someone to come in as a technologist. They really needed someone mostly, to be honest, to tell their story and to market them within an online environment that was very busy and that they didn't know how to uh, stand out in. And so I started both retraining myself and, and started thinking a lot about ways to help them stand out. And that really got me into podcasting and helping small businesses tell their stories. And over the course of doing that, I, of course, realized like, oh, my God, the workflow of like making a podcast is so arduous. Yes. <laughs> extremely. And then, it's extremely arduous. And then I started, I, I was really lucky because my best friend was working in um, audio advice and I started talking to her. I was like, oh, how do you do it? And then let's make a podcast together. We made this four person podcast, which was just a nightmare, really. Like to, it was just so much crazy work and so inefficient. And on one hand, I decided to we worked on Notion. I was like, oh, maybe I'll take the Notion board that we are using, turn it into something I can provide to the podcasting community. And that was really cool. At the same time, I was like, maybe I should build a company around this. And so I ended up building a podcasting company that actually was more focused on those professional teams and their workflows. And we were doing pretty well, but I built this company with actually my romantic partner mm -hmm. and that is something people tell you not to do mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh, and it was a really interesting journey I think we made some interesting choices we made some definite mistakes um, we at the beginning of COVID were supposed to raise more money and even though podcasting over the course of COVID did really well, uh, in the beginning of COVID, when people stopped commuting, there was just this feeling that it was a problem. No one wanted to invest in it. And it just kind of a, all everything we were doing unraveled from there, I would say. And I had this realization that I was like, wow, I've loved supporting podcasters. I've loved supporting small businesses. I hate that the the way I've approached this is by trying to go through like investor gatekeepers. Like the thing I'm inspired by is the fact that people have an idea and they do it. Like, why am I not doing that? And that is what brought me into this kind of more of this indie making space that I'm just dipping my toes in. Yeah. To. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. Um so many similarities in our stories because I too have this 
I I have a self-imposed problem that I want to help every person like reach their creative potential, right? People say they're not creative. I'm like, oh, you are. Everyone is creative. You just need to find it. Um, so I work through that because you can't help everybody. So I, I definitely empathize with that that portion of like, who can I help and how can I help them? And super interesting that you landed in the podcast space as well. Um, as I, I did the same thing. I was like, this podcasting workflow is terrible <laughs> and built podcast off because I'm like, well, this is how I do things. Maybe it'll help other people. So uh, yeah, we'll have to talk more offline about that. Maybe we can figure out good ways. What has it been like? We're going to touch on on building a company with a partner, <laughs> however much you're comfortable sharing. Um, but what has it been like to make that shift? Did it feel almost freeing to you to have that realization? What was that like? It's been really freeing, to be honest. Um, it's funny because I basically, uh, I basically felt like I had to rely both on my partner, who was my CTO, and actually on a, uh, a few engineers that we had and that I hired. And I, it was so frustrating. <laughs> I mean, not because these all of these individuals aren't wonderful people, of course, but it was just so frustrating to recognize um, just the speed at which I wanted to deliver when I promised I would deliver something and the speed at which that actually happens. And I think it's really interesting because, you know, I'm, I'm new to the kind of indie making space other than kind of, you know, putting out a, eventually monetizing and putting out my uh, next iteration of my podcasting playbook. But right now, for example, I've been learning Bubble and I had this kind of moment where I thought, oh, this is going to take me a while. And then I started doing a few tutorials and I was like, oh, no, I mean, I'm very lucky. I don't have that far to go. I, I, you know, at the beginning of my career, even though I didn't use any of this, I did a lot of front end coding. Later on, I did a whole bunch of like, I don't have like, I thought I had such a, a long distance to be able to put out products myself. And that distance isn't as long as I thought as, as I imagined. Yeah, I it's so freeing. I, I agree. Having come from the corporate world and sat next to yeah, next to developers and engineers and data architects. And I'm like, I can't touch any of this. I have no idea what to do. And I chose Webflow as my platform, but same thing. Yeah, like you literally feel as though you're so far behind and you watch three videos and, you know, three days later, you have a site. You're like, what the heck? This is great. <laughs> I need to learn Bubble. It's on my list, just not this year. Not in 2021. I've already decided. <laughs> Put, put my Gotta foot down. Gotta pace yourself. Pace yourself. <laughs> put my foot down. I can't learn something new this year. Um, so interesting. I've had a couple other folks on who have come from a VC-backed company and pivoted towards indie hacking. So I'm really interested to hear kind of what that process has been like for you. Yeah. I mean, I will say we were just angel backed. So we hadn't okay. raised like our institutional round yet. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's funny. Um, I think that for me, there's like, 
a very antiquated sense of what is really valuable and what is like honest and true mm-hmm. <laughs> i think <laughs> um and you know like if i'm building a product i want to make sure is this like this needs to be truly valuable like i want this i mean as cheesy as this sounds i want this to change someone's life in some way or another um and in yeah and in the case of you know if i'm i don't know i'll i'll just maybe that's the statement that i'll make and i think i realized um so we actually got into an accelerator really early into our process like 3 months into you know starting to build together and um and it was and a huge, huge distraction. I mean, honestly, I, I feel like I would never do that again. <laughs> I, I, but I say that only because it was a distraction because it was all about optics and it was all about pretending we were somewhere where we weren't. And, you know, for three months of building and three months of also marketing and talking to people and trying to actually sign letters of intent we were in a great place. Like we were in a great place, but we were in a space where other people had been doing their companies for four years. And that's who we were comparing ourselves to. And it was just like, suddenly all of my attention was on perfecting a pitch deck. And I've created many pitch decks, including for other people at different times. And it just like, was such a waste of time. I, I, I like, I just, <laughs> it was just such a waste of time. And we lost so much time iterating on some, you know, on some piece of paper that I, at the end of the day, I myself felt dishonest. Like I went to my, you know, demo day and I was just like, I don't want to pretend like we have a functioning product right now because that's not where it is and where we are is really great, actually. And I would rather, like, that's not how I want to spend my time. And I think that those were all thoughts that I had, but I just wasn't sure whether it was possible to build products that created a sustainable amount of income without that type of backing. And I think still, I I think about that a lot in terms of which spaces do you go into? If you, if you go into a space that's too small, like, or or if you go into a space that's too big, then there are just so many players that can offer their product for basically a subsidized rate. (laughs) And if you, and if you go into a space that's too small, but hyped, then you have other market dynamics like we did with podcasting. Um, But yeah, there has to be some place where it's really about connecting to the people you want to help and feeling like you're being honest in the value you're giving them. Yeah, that's so interesting. I, I feel that a lot when I see products that are pitched. There's a lot of flash and really excellent marketing and not a lot of details. And so I always wonder, 
but is this an actual thing? We, and we watched some of those launches, and I'm not going to name any companies, but there were quite a few that were very flashy, made a big splash. And I'll admit, I was like, oh, yes, this looks great. And then the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, oh. And then when you went to use it, it didn't actually work. And you're like, oh, hmm, interesting. I, I, I don't know where that line is either. And I think because I have only ever done indie hacking and find that much more in my comfort zone, I, to me, it's just always been a huge disconnect with that kind of like VC-backed space and lots of great marketing <laughs> versus, <laughs> you know, and not to say that some of those products aren't good, but yeah, the accelerators and things, there just seems to be so much pressure and like go faster, push out more media, get more attention. You just want to get funding, but you don't ever actually solve a problem until you have funding. It's like, what's the point of the accelerator then? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, and to be fair, it's it's awesome. Like you buy time, right? Like right. if you have more time to figure out how to help, like that's great. You can make more mistakes. You can, you know, all of those things, there are definite value propositions around. And there are certain products that I think just take a lot of research and development and mm -hmm. a lot of capital up front to build. I think that those just maybe aren't the products I want to be building anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I think it speaks a lot to the fact that corporate didn't really sit well with you. And I mean, there's a lot of crossover there, right? Some Sometimes not. There are some very amazing new venture capitalists that are entering the market that think much differently and are funding some amazing products. So I think we'll see that split become a little bit larger. But yeah, it makes perfect sense to me why it didn't align with you. Uh, so, I mean, entrepreneurship is in your family history, and is that something you you kind of always knew you wanted to do, or did you think you were going to really try and go the traditional route? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, to be honest, I think there was always a part of me that knew I wanted to do it, or at the very least, that almost didn't know any other alternatives. Like... I really did grow up in a very diverse place and almost everyone I knew had their own small business. <laughs> and for that reason, I I also, I didn't have a lot of illusions about entrepreneurship when I was growing up. I, I knew that it was a very hard path to take. Um, my dad really for they had like a medical staffing company and my dad for 15 years would take calls throughout the night and sometimes go service different hospitals um usually i think 15 years he slept around four hours a night and so like for me it wasn't like i was like this is this glamorous like startups are glamorous entrepreneurship is glamorous. Yeah. <laughs> like i did not i did not see it that way at all yeah. <laughs> um but I had this thought that maybe it could be easier. Like I thought if you build credibility, let's say in the corporate world or in some other space that then you can come in and you would have a leg up or something. I, I don't know exactly. I, in, in some vague way, that's what I thought. And, uh, and then I kind of entered more of the working world and I was like, wow, I don't even know how to approach jobs other than like an entrepreneur. Like, I don't know how to not be all in. I don't know how to like not take 
you know, not work less than 70 hours a week. Like, um, and then at some point I realized like, wow, I, um, it's like almost not a choice for me. <laughs> like, I really, like, this is, this is just how I work and I have to figure out how to, yeah, how to build my own things. And, and granted, like, right now, like, some of that is also supported by freelancing. Like, it's not mm-hmm. like my, I'm living off of products. <laughs> but, um, but it, ha- it became clearer and clearer that that was probably my path. Yeah. That's so interesting. Uh, I think a lot of people who overwork in corporate really should be entrepreneurs for that reason. Like, if you're going to give 70 hours to something, you might as well give it to something that's your own and only yours. But there's a lot of folks who love those uh, benefits, I guess, the 401k that comes with corporate. Uh, I'm the same. I Yeah, I've always been an overworker, overachiever, had to fix every problem that popped up, which I think has been... <laughs> And I think it gets harder, though, when you're not in a corporate setting, there's usually somebody at some point, a coworker, if you have a great boss, a great boss that says, hey, what are you doing? Like, go home. Uh, But I think a lot of times that doesn't happen. And those folks often get, you know, very taken advantage of. And then when you leave, I mean, at least for me, I work twice as hard. I was working like 14 and 16 hour days because I'm like, oh, but this is mine now. Totally. So how has that balance been? Have you been able to kind of work back in the self-care aspect and take time away that you need to? You know, I, I think that I have approached it in different ways at different times. I think uh, when we were doing our startup, I, you know, had for a very long time, actually, I've realized that kind of maintaining my mindset was really important for me showing up. And I would try to implement practices to have a little bit of just perspective on what I was doing, (laughs) because it's easy to have tunnel vision. And to be quite honest, the minute, you know, let's say we were doing our startup, like those would go out the door. Like I would forget that I needed to exercise and forget that I should, you know, spend a little time reflecting. And I think as things started unraveling, and I'll be very honest, I think in many ways I would have probably continued with our company, but it was very interlinked with my relationship, which was also unraveling at the Mm -hmm. time. (laughs) And so it was very complicated. (laughs) And so... I think at that time I started to realize that if I didn't get really serious about creating consistent practices that I just like fundamentally fall into like deep depressions (laughs) and, and it's not that I didn't expect that I would have like highs and lows, but that I really needed to figure out how to kind of normalize that for myself a little bit, because I think that's always going to be the case with, with like this entrepreneurial journey, I guess. And um, to be honest, I actually, it's funny because I'm doing some work with her now, but I have a very good friend I met and she launched a mindset fitness um, 
uh, company, and it's based on the work she did at MIT, really combining a lot of different aspects. And I ended up basically being her, like, one of her beta testers in (laughs) one of her very early courses. And it was just so helpful for me to actually basically start realizing that like, oh yeah, all these ups and downs, all the times that I have all this negative self-talk, all of the things that I start thinking about that I regret that I should have done differently. Like, first of all, like those are normal, like those happen to everyone. And second of all, like here are ways to just accept that like, okay, this is what I'm going through today. And tomorrow is going to be a different day. And it's this isn't like a pervasive reality. Yeah, so important to do. I think a lot of times, and I know we've talked about it more in the, the Twitter indie hacking space than I've seen in lots of other facets. So I love that you are taking the time for some introspection and rest and reflection. It's so important. The mental struggle is hard in life, no matter where you are or what you're doing. We all suffer from you know, these ups and downs and sometimes more severe things. So I really love that you have kind of put that first. How have you managed not to overwork? Because I struggle with that. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think I've just, I think I've come to this realization. So like, I'll connect this to self-care for a moment. Like one thing that I do as I run like Monday and Friday mornings, I run 15 minutes of guided journaling and it's drop in. Anyone can come in and I do it mostly to force myself to do it because unless I'm doing it with other people, like, you know, stuff like that wouldn't get done. And so, <laughs> um, but the reason that I mention that is, um, is just that I think one of the questions I ask every Monday is like, what's most important to you in life right now? And everyone answers different things. And I constantly answer like work. And I know this is like maybe the wrong answer or whatever. But I think at the end of the day, I realize like, oh, yeah, this has always been really important to me. And it's okay if I like work a lot. Like, that's just what I want to do. Like, I I, I honestly do. I I, I just think I honestly do want to do that. Yeah. (laughs) And... I just have to work on not feeling guilty when I'm doing something else, actually. I think that's the part that is has taken me a lot of time to come to terms with. And, you know, for a long time, I didn't really have a lot of hobbies even. And I recently am like, oh, certain things that I do can be really additive to my mental well-being and give me perspective on what I'm doing or unlock new ideas. And I can't. I can't ignore that. I can't, I have to pay attention to like truly if I spend 16 hours working, like what percentage of those 16 hours were actually effective work and what percentage could I maybe give away to doing something else? Yeah. Great insight and introspection there too. It's interesting what we're so hard ourselves hard on ourselves for. If you really enjoy working and that's your why, that's okay. I <laughs> I had a a great discussion um, with a guest recently who reminded me, and I'm tempted to remind everybody now, 
that you need not rely on societal expectations for your own happiness. And whatever makes you happy, makes you happy. And be damned everybody else. I mean, you just have to focus on doing what's right for you. So I think that's great. Yeah, I definitely have the guilt too with like, oh, I took today off. Anybody who works for themselves, you have that. That's just never, ever going to go away because we know nothing is happening. Like, (laughs) But I have the same joy when folks ask me like, hey, can you go out such and such a day? And I'm like, let me ask the boss. She says it's good, (laughs) you know? Yeah. It's it's give and take. (laughs) Awesome. Well, so we, we've touched a little bit on Twitter, but I know you're relatively new to Twitter, but that's how we met. So when did you decide to kind of move over to Twitter and what have you been doing with social media in terms of learning and growing and making connections community? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my Twitter journey is really new. Uh, I I don't even remember exactly why I decided to do this, but really about a month and a half ago as I was as I had been working on uh, the podcasting playbook, I was like, oh, maybe it would be a good idea to launch this or to talk about this also on Twitter. And I didn't do any of the things that in retrospect, you know, I would have done if I was more familiar with the build in public community. Like I didn't let people follow along as I was building this this resource. But what I did do is I ended up saying, hey, I'm about to launch this. And then, hey, I've launched this. And um, because I had very, I guess, at some point or another, followed other podcasters from conference, from podcasting conferences I'd gone to and from just all of the kind of one, one-on-one sales that I had done before in podcasting, um, I was just totally blown away and so surprised that I had all of these podcasting newsletters and outlets that I very much respected pick up my resource and and feature it. And I think that having no expectations whatsoever on what was really a last minute, I would say, launch, uh, one of those, I just have to get this out there. I have to stop working on this. (laughs) Um, I think I was just so blown away by kind of the power of posting there. And um, it was my first kind of indication like, oh, maybe I should actually invest a little time in, in, you know, publishing more on Twitter and talking a little more of, uh, about my journey. And in doing that is actually, to be honest, when I started really understanding more about the indie hacking community and more about other parts of Twitter that maybe I'd been doing. Like I've built communities before, but I didn't know like the community verse on Twitter or I, um, you know, I'm very passionate about the creator economy, which I see as an extension of solopreneurship and an extension of all of these things have always been very very interested in um but i just realized oh there's so much wonderful information on twitter so even as a twitter consumer like i want to be a little more active and as a twitter producer i'm in the early stages of trying to push myself to figure out how do i write on twitter more regularly and what can i say that's actually of value and i think that's like an ongoing 
you know, learning process for me. Yeah, it's Twitter is, an, is a learning process for everybody. It's interesting what the algorithm picks up one time and the next time just falls on crickets. My big thing with Twitter is I always say if it's important to you and you think it's good content, just share it. Um, and resharing. So if you don't want to retweet an old tweet, just copy and paste into a new tweet. I mean, literally, there, I'm sure there's tons of gems there that people are just sharing again because we never saw it the first time. Um, yeah, I, I really, I'm That's glad that we we connected on Twitter because I would have never found you on any of the other platforms. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I, it's funny because. Um, one of the things that was amazing while I had Echo Echo is that for the first time in my life, I really dug deep on learning sales, which was something that I had. Um, I don't know. I actually thought like, oh, I'm probably just not very good at this, etc. And I ended up having um, an advisor for a company who came from sales and mentored me. And I suddenly was like, wow. I absolutely love this. It's really just the art of talking to people, which I also love. And, um, but then by the end of, you know, our company, I had this realization like, wow, nothing that I've been doing because it's been all in one-on-one -on -one contexts is visible at all. Like none of me showing our product, none of, none of like people being interested. Literally, it's like, a black hole that I've been in because I was basically doing B2B sales. <laughs> and it made me really recognize that I, I wanted to build in a more sustainable, not one, just one-to-one -one way, but also a one-to-many way, which I think getting back onto social media is, is starting to like, starting to slowly kind of shift me in that direction. <laughs> yeah, it's, so interesting how everybody uses social media a little bit differently. Definitely you're selling and don't know that you're selling, right? Because you're just telling your story and everything is marketing, as they say. I Traditional marketing and I do not get along. I I am a tough sell. I, will, I tell everybody, I hardly buy anything ever. Like legit, it is so difficult for me to part with any dollars. Um, and I just don't particularly care for companies people i trust companies i don't so, yeah. yep. anyway but i have enjoyed um trying to figure out my version of marketing on twitter and i'm sure i'm doing it all wrong compared to all the marketing folks but it is really I i'm learning from you so oh, i feel like i get to well I, it's true i feel like it's been so wonderful hearing you be vulnerable and share your story and share exactly where you are and i feel like it's such a yeah, I, I think it's a really nice example for, for many people, including myself. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, my goal was just kind of to be transparent because a lot of times, especially on social media, it's a highlight reel. And I, I don't have a highlight reel. <laughs> Life is as it happens. And, um, you know, my husband jokes, I have no filter. Sorry, you're just going to hear it. It's, I, this is real life, people. I'm not making enough. <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of just how I approach Twitter. Um I guess with a little bit of a filter, it probably doesn't have the colorful language that I use in person, but that's okay. 
<laughs> don't always need that on social media. So you, you touched on it a little bit talking about uh, community, but I know you just joined a community that I'm in as well. So how has community played a, a role in your transition here from your startup to now indie hacking space? Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. I think community has played many roles in my life, I would say. Um, so I, I started this podcast, which is about making these different types of pivots in your life. And part of it was like I had made a number of pivots in my life, both in terms of what not just, you know, what I was doing, but where I lived, etc. And usually I would start out in those spaces without knowing where to go, what to do, like who to be around. And um, by accident, I would say, just by virtue of maybe not having friends, I have started different communities, like um, moved to Seattle, was in the design industry focused on healthcare. I started a meetup group and that ended up being, it's it's still running, it's over 2,000 people, very large, <laughs> like community, I would say. And then I left and I was working on uh, with all of these small businesses and um, working on women who are building out e-commerce brands and bootstrapping them, started a Facebook group around that just because I, there was so much knowledge that I wish I had had and um, so many mistakes, honestly, that I wish I had made differently. <laughs> um, and even in podcasting, you know, would run this weekly feedback session where podcasters would come together. And I thought as I was making this transition towards indie making and hacking, I was like, oh, maybe I'll like start a community. And, and I haven't at all. Instead, I've been in this place where I've just been kind of observing and trying to understand the landscape and trying to see like maybe I can just join what is already out there like unless there's some reason for starting a community that it's not like you know I, there's no need for me to just start a community for the community's sake I, it's usually like are there questions or spaces that I just don't feel a part of or don't feel included in and if if that's true then like maybe I can create a little slice of the pie where I do feel included and where other people also feel included and so I feel I don't know if that was a good answer to your question but I would say I'm only starting to understand the community landscape around things like indie hacking so we have touched on a lot here your journey so far and I want to circle back around because, you know, I'm all about failure here on this podcast. So I want to circle back around to Echo Echo and chat with that, chat with you about that in a little bit and, you know, what happened there and, and if you would consider it a failure or not. Yeah. I mean, it's funny when you were on my podcast, you said something to the effect of how you found all of the different things that you've done in your life very additive. And I... And I told you, I love that perspective. And I find often that people don't approach things with that perspective. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, um, you know, in terms of whether Echo Echo was a failure or not, it's funny because for me, I, 
I keep thinking about it and I'm like, you know, the work I'm about to work on, this is all in like these this is all informed by <laughs> by everything I did with Echo Echo. And in fact, it's not it's not like so different. Like it may not be in podcasting, but it's still helping content creators. You know, like it's all of the themes are there and it just didn't work out in the way maybe I envisioned it would work out. And I guess that's okay too. I, yeah, I think we're always on this learning journey. Um, But I think in terms of things that, in terms of diving into the failure itself, I think, you know, there are a lot of interesting things that I would say maybe led to us kind of not being able to get it off the ground. Um, I think like just at the very core, we were building for a very, very small market. Um, We basically, we weren't just building for like podcasters in general who are already a small market. We were really building for professional teams um, with the idea that 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 like professional content in podcasting was going to grow. And we were working with um, individuals who were doing an enormous amount of editing from an, uh, from a lot of source content and were needing to storyboard that out to create narratives. And we were basically building a technically complex product without enough resources to be doing that. And one that really required us to be selling to the upper tier of professionals whose expectations were going to be the highest you could be. And so even in that, there's a lot of, I would say, mistakes. They were made for sometimes good reasons, like, well, we didn't want to compete with free software. And, you know, well, you know, there, there's, we, we got, we had a competitor who raised an enormous amount of money. We decided to ignore that because that was the advice that we were given um, I mean, all of those things, I think, in certain ways, surely, in retrospect, I think we could have made different decisions. And um, I think for myself, we, we tried to go through a lot of pivots during this company, and um, some of them were interesting <laughs> forays, but again, I think... Yeah, I, I think if we had been able to get out a smaller version of our product quicker, I would have much rather done that. And that's just like a different approach than the way we than the way we went about doing things. And um, I think, you know, I don't know if I would say it was the mistake to try to, let's say, work with my partner. Um, but I think in, at some basic level, when you're evaluating co-founders that you don't know, you know, you might do a co-founder dating questionnaire and, and understand like, are our values aligned? Are these things aligned, etc. And with my co-founder and I, I think we knew our values weren't totally aligned, but we also you know, had a lot of trust in each other and had a lot of other things that 
were going for us and had a lot of just hard skills that were complementary. And I think over the course of not just our company, but actually, let's say the six months after we kind of stopped working on our company, which was, I would, you know, in the, in the later, in the latter half of 2020, um, in, I started doing a lot of co-founder dating and I also realized like, oh, I would rather go at something alone than force a co-founding relationship that doesn't work. And so maybe, maybe this was all a failure that I didn't recognize this from the beginning, or maybe this is just like, I had to go through this journey and understand like, okay, I gotta have faith in myself to solo found things. Great. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, you just mentioned so many lessons, great lessons that it taught you. And had you never had the experience, you wouldn't know. And you touched on it when we opened that people told you don't, you know, go into a co-founding partnership with someone you're romantically involved in. But it's one of those things until you experience it, you don't actually know what that means. Absolutely. And that's the beauty of failure to me. You know, like mm -hmm. I, <laughs> you have so much knowledge now that you can take forward in so many different facets of life, not just with business and building, but my goodness, the, the just worldly knowledge that you gain going through that experience just propels you so much further. So absolutely. And and you know, it's funny, it's really easy to be like, oh yeah, I got advice and I didn't take it. But the truth is, is how much terrible advice do we all get? <laughs> like we also oh get gosh, so, so much. much. <laughs> so much. <laughs> so much bad advice. And especially as women, mm -hmm. I feel like we are given a ton of bad advice that just will not work. Absolutely. I, I don't know how to fix that, but it needs to be fixed. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I, I'm always looking and analyzing, okay, why is someone giving me advice? I hate to say this, but, mm -hmm. but so often, you know, there's some element of their own brand building or their own ego that they're stroking. And I mean, there's a lot of valuable lessons out there. And I don't want to say that I'd you know, need to go through every lesson myself. And I, I definitely want to leapfrog some of that. But I also think that there is an enormous amount of advice that's given that doesn't have context. And it's okay to decide what advice to take and what advice to not take. And it's also okay to sometimes be wrong. And that's, you know, that's just part of the process. Yeah, absolutely. I, I always try and reinforce that everybody's story is different and you have to remember context. And so your, you know, goal is to hear what's being said and diffuse that into your situation to recognize if that's going to impact you at all. Like context is everything and you, you just can't take things like blanket statement, this will always work X, Y, and Z. In fact, I tell people to run away from those folks. If they're trying to sell you a course that says these seven steps, follow these 10 rules and you'll make six figures. I'm like, run away from them. That's not, not going to work ever. It's not going to work. <laughs> Absolutely. This also, this goes back to your statement a little bit earlier where you were like, I am not going to be sold. I will not be sold on almost anything. <laughs> oh, it's ridiculous. 
just drives me nuts because I'm like, come on, who's falling for that? But people do. And, you know, people want answers and they want the fast fix. And I recognize that. And that's why we've touched upon self-care and introspection and reflection and sit with it. It's the hard part and it really sucks and you cry a lot. But you know what? You'll get through it. (laughs) You really will. It'll be so much better. (laughs) Yeah. So did you have any surprises during any of this kind of last 12 months that really shocked you along the way that you weren't expecting? Good or bad? You know, actually, so as I was, um, as I was kind of unraveling our startup and, you know, whatever funding we had left and all of these different things, I actually, that's when I decided for the first time that maybe some of the things that I had almost used, that I'd given away for free or almost used as marketing material at some point during Echo Echo, I could turn into a resource and just sell. And I was just so elated and so surprised when I hit publish. And even though like this isn't a huge deal, but like I was like, wow, I made a a thousand dollars in my first three days like I just didn't expect this at all like I did not expect (laughs) this at all I didn't I I was so nervous and I there are all the things that I thought were still not good enough and you know all the things that go through your mind but I think I was just so surprised at what it would feel like to put something out there on my own and not um, not be waiting for someone, not be relying on anyone and just see what happened and see what kind of relationships formed from that. And I think that's actually that moment when we talked about like, oh yeah, that's when I realized maybe I should be on Twitter. <laughs> it's also more realistically, like it was the moment where I was like, oh, maybe this is like, a community, a, a set of relationships I want to build, like other people who have had that moment of like, I made my first dollar on the internet and it, I didn't have to rely on anyone. This is so empowering. I think that was a huge surprise. Yeah, that's wonderful. I, I know making your first dollar on the internet for something that is 100% yours just hits different. It really does. There's something completely unique about it that you can never replicate. It's a really fantastic feeling. Congrats. That's amazing. thousand bucks in three days. Thank you. Onward and upward. <laughs> I mean. it, hasn't, it hasn't been like, I realized over time, I was like, oh, this doesn't sustain itself this way, but that was great. <laughs> yeah. That's why everybody pushes the launch, right? Like get on product time, build it up on Twitter. Yeah. And then you have a good launch. Yep. I'm more like just slow and steady Jane <laughs> marketing. Like, oh, yeah, I have this thing. I can't tell you the last time I advertised podcasts. I was just terrible. I'm terrible marketing. Anyway. <laughs> so what's next for you? We know you're building. What, what does the future hold? I am still very passionate about the space of content creators. And um, right now I'm kind of in this like, 30 days of just learning (laughs) and also doing a little bit of user research Mm -hmm. uh, because I would like to start to go back to starting to build kind of Mm -hmm. 
my next project. And I wish I was like, here's what it is, but I feel like it's very ambiguous right now. It's just a kernel. (laughs) (laughs) That happens. That's good. I think that's the first step, right? I, I would assume that you have learned a lot of this through working with a startup that you need to talk to your audience. What do they actually want? Is that going to be anything that you're going to build? Like, what do they actually want and will they pay money for it? And if those two things are yes and you have some pre-order sales, then you go build the thing. Otherwise, just keep going. (laughs) Yep. And it's funny because, like, I used to do this as my job, right? Like, I used to do all the, run all the research, figure out what to build, Mm -hmm. figure out what we were building. And the thing that's so weird uh, is that you do this formally and you, like, have all these processes and steps set up. And then when it comes to your own thing, you're like, okay, yeah, I know I have to do this, but I'll do a little bit of it. Then I'll like skip this step and I'll do this step. And then the minute you skip these steps, you're like, oh my God, why did I skip this step? I already know that I needed to do this validation. Why didn't I validate, yeah. <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. It's because we know we can go fast and we get all excited and we just start building and we're like, oh yeah, this won't work. Nobody wants this. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's the the tricky part about indie hacking and this whole maker creator economy. We get we get a little ahead of ourselves uh, more often than we should. So, what is something if somebody's sitting in corporate America right now and they're at their desk and they're like, "Man, I want to be on this journey." What's a piece of advice you would give to them? I think I would tell them to start talking about their journey early far before they decide to take any actions to just to just start small whether that be on Twitter or on in in, in the form of a newsletter just start telling that story far before you start building because that story is what will build you an audience and that audience will allow you to eventually launch some a product to and 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 also glean a lot of insights from and so yeah, I think start talking, start being visible. I, you know, have admittedly not done that and I'm playing catch up and that's okay too. But I think that it is, especially in our world right now, extremely important. Yeah, sound advice for everybody. I mean, even if you're not in corporate, we're in the day and age, you just got to put yourself out there. Either it's on Twitter and you're just sharing words or you're getting in front of a camera or hopping on some of these voice platforms that pop up every day. And yeah, just start talking to people. Yeah, It's great advice. And the last part of that, as you said, that is like, find the medium that works for you. Like for me, I love, I love audio actually. I, I really do. I love the conversations I have with people and I'm not always as great at like long form writing. Like I can't make that into a sustainable habit, but I can make talking to people into a sustainable habit. So don't get discouraged if you try to put put yourself out there and it's just maybe not a medium that works for you. Keep experimenting. Yeah. Also really great advice. I think that's another one of those that you'll get bad advice that says you need to do these three things. You need to be on these four platforms. You need to post on every social media platform. No. Do what works for you and what is able to be incorporated into your life. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, man. 
So much great advice. Your journey is so fascinating. I'm so glad that we connected and you shared it here with us on the podcast. Where can folks get in touch with you to continue to follow along? Yeah, absolutely. You could follow me on Twitter with Alina at or at Alina underscore thinks. Uh, you could go to my website at alina.work. That's about to be revamped. Um, or you could follow actually my podcast, which you could see at lanechangepod.com. Awesome. I will make sure to link all of that in the show notes so folks can check it out and follow along. Thank you again today for joining me. This was such a great chat. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. This is just awesome. And I absolutely love what you're doing with your podcast and just how you're supporting the kind of creator and indie hacking community in general. So super excited to have gotten to connect. Me too. More to come, I'm sure. Yes. And that wraps up this week's show. Thank you to our guest for joining us, sharing your journey, your fails, and lessons along the way. If you want to follow along in between episodes, you can catch me on Twitter at Sarah no Socks. And if you haven't already, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. It really does help the podcast. Until next time. Bye.